Hey guys, before we go live, I just want to talk to you about a live sales training event that we have going on February 19th in Salt Lake City. I'm going to be out there with Jeremy Pound. You've probably heard Jeremy's name before. He's built the sales playbook for some of the fastest growing property management companies in the nation. Jeremy and I are putting on a full day class specifically for BDMs to talk about sales, closing skills, opening skills, the ability to redirect a Objections to deal with discounting and defend your fees to pick the right client to do the qualification that leads to having the conversations that leads to building your book of business with qualified prospects. So if you want to make sure that your BDM is trained and re ready to execute and to actually grow your business effectively, you couldn't make a better investment than a one-day in-person class with Jeremy and myself. This is going to be happening in Salt Lake City on February 19th. You can check it out in the link in the show notes. You can also go to leadsimple.com forward slash sales dash class. Check it out. It's going to be a hell of an event. Look forward to seeing some of you guys there. Now onto the episode. I really want some continuity for my clients mm. and for the business and I want opportunities internally. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome, closers, to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Here with Matt Leshper in the office, 1836 Property Management Matt, how long have you been in Austin, Texas for? Uh, I grew up outside of uh, Austin and Taylor and uh, went to Texas State. And so I left for a few years, went to uh, Jersey, Ohio, Houston. And then I've been back though in Austin for about 12 years now. I had no idea Jersey was on that course. Yeah, there was another life that I lived. <laughs> and uh, that kind of enabled me to build the business, to be honest, because I was able to put food on the table while bootstrapping. Got to pay the bills. Somebody's got to eat. Yeah, got to pay the bills for <laughs> sure. So we've known each other for a while. Yes. And wanted to have you in to kind of talk shop about what's working, what's not. Give folks some rough parameters of what the business looks like today. Certainly. So uh, we've got the real estate brokerage, primarily property management. Sales are really negligible or something we don't focus on mm -hmm. at least. Um, we find that because of a lot of our business comes from referral, the local agents don't love it that we actually, hey, do you do sales? Do you not? Mm -hmm. um, not really. So mm -hmm. let's just focus on what we do, do it well, which is property management, supporting them, their sales, and then of course driving our own leads that we own, so to speak, uh, online. So we currently manage about 385 units. Um, we should close next year around 500 based on the trends I'm seeing with pretty good ease. Uh, last year we had our highest, uh, tied for the highest year ever in attrition. And uh, I think it was a sell-off, to be honest with you, because I, we're not alone in this. We all right. talk. Uh, but I was surprised it was that high because mm -hmm. people have been selling in Austin for years as prices have gone up. And this year, we're trending well beyond the lowest year in attrition, even just a few months into it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how things turn out. So you think it's turned? The market has turned? Yeah, I can't say for a fact, but I can tell you what the, the leading indicators are mm -hmm. a few months out because we get notices from owners 90, 120 days out. We have to stop those lease renewals or, or prepare for sales. And they're trending 30% of what they were last year. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I'm noticing is the people that want to sell, we're asking them why. And they are increasing their debt load. And so they've been spending money over the last few years, cashing money out of these homes that have gone up in value. Mm -hmm. Now some of them are unable to service that debt. Mm -hmm. So they need to liqu liquidate the entire asset mm -hmm. to pay off some, some loans. Mm, yeah, interesting. Do you follow bigger pockets at all? Uh, not in detail, I know, but not not to that detail. So there's this concept of the Burr strategy, which is basically just buying, rehabbing, continuing to buy more. I had somebody tell me at one point that that Burr strategy in part is predicated upon eventually, if you get big enough, having to sell a couple of those homes simply to pay bills on the rest of the portfolio. It makes sense if you have enough velocity. 
So uh, let's talk a little bit about the the staff, kind of how you have the company structured. There's all these different models. You have departmental, you have portfolio, you have hybrid. Where do you fall with all that? So uh, first, I'd like to give credit um, to some other people in the industry who have opened their doors and really allowed me to come learn from them. So I don't want to take personal credit for anything. I'll say that I've taken pieces from different people across the nation mm -hmm. who have been super gracious uh, and, and welcoming. So uh, John Bradford has kind of a hybrid setup and he's been successful at it. And after viewing the departmental or the portfolio and having to pick A or B, I, I don't feel like life forces us to pick A or B all the time. We just kind of like that because it fits in a box. Mm -hmm. uh, but he had the most attractive setup for me, and so I've tried to emulate that um, as best I could. Now, I can't say I'm at the level of success that he is, uh, but I like the setup. And so what we have is we have teams, and uh, those teams are responsible for managing the property. With that said, we also have uh, separate maintenance, and uh, on those teams, the, there's three-person teams. Uh, there's a, I don't want to call them V. They're a staff member, but they're through a third-party company, mm -hmm, right. and they are in Mexico. That's our first line. And then we have a junior and a senior property manager. And that way we can balance all the duties of managing those properties and have some redundancy, give people a day off, um, hopefully have some retention of knowledge as we go from mm -hmm. staff member to staff member. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be terrorized by having somebody quit, get hit by a bus or whatever. I can't say that I personally would use that term, although it may be very valid um, because it's going to throw your world into a tailspin. Uh, but I really want some continuity for my clients mm -hmm. and for the business. And I want opportunities internally. So to me, that was the most attractive design going forward. But, uh, but I have to give him credit for showing me what that looked like. What does that look like in terms of the client facing experience? As a client, how many people am I interacting with and under what circumstances? Certainly. So there's three persons on each team. You could be interacting with somebody doing basic paperwork or one of the other two property managers, but all of them in general should know the properties, have seen the properties and know the owners to a certain extent, which we can kind of get into later. Maintenance is a separate, separate thing because we really want someone that does nothing but maintenance all day. We don't want them tied up on all these other things. It should. What if I have an AC repair request come in at 3 p.m. and it's 100 degrees in Austin, Texas, and that person's out putting signs and lock boxes on a mm -hmm. property? That just doesn't seem like the right fit to me, nor right. a productive fit for that salary level. So uh, we've split out the maintenance. Uh, we have application processing at the lower level, answering phones at the lower level, so they get more exposure. And so as an owner, you'll talk to. Uh, You'll talk to one, two, three people, but everybody should have some good continuity on what's going on, who you are, where your property is. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about differentiation. What you just mentioned, in many ways, doesn't really matter to the end consumer, at least this, this philosophical debate about departmental and portfolio. The consumer isn't educated enough to appreciate the inside baseball that you hear about when a bunch of property managers get together. They have a very truncated view. In your mind, what is the criteria or the buying criteria that they are applying and that they're bringing forward when they talk to you? The consumer, mm -hmm. the, the investor. Exactly. Price? Sure. Because they don't know what else to ask. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, they're yeah, uneducated. Right. So they right. come to the table and the first thing, what do you do, what do you charge? And it's our job really to lead them somewhere. And just like any other industry, instead of saying, this is what we charge and good luck, mm. talk to me about you. You know, Talk to me about your goals, your aspirations. Where are you going with this? How did you acquire this property? Let me actually help you. And to be honest, some don't want to talk. And, and that's okay. I feel like our, we're so fixated in all industries on closure rates and how can I close every deal? And I don't know that you want to close every deal because you're going to end up with people who detract from your business as a whole. Totally. And it's very hard to turn down business, mm -hmm. but some people will destroy your business or just not a good fit. And so if they're not willing to have a conversation with you, there's a high likelihood they're going to be disappointed down the road because you're really just not... You're not even rowing the same direction. You don't know what boat you're in. Mm -hmm. Are you there? Are we here? And so setting those expectations, what what we do, why we do it, let me listen to you, and, and let's set those goals together is so important. I, 
Does that sort of answer the question? Yeah, so that's really good. I mean, that brings up an interesting point. So we're saying on the one hand, the consumer doesn't have enough information to ask really intelligent, nuanced questions. Not all of them. Many of them simply lack that. And so it's not their fault for defaulting to price. If I don't have a host of 20 other questions, price is kind of like a good basic starting point. At the same time, it's the job of the PM to actually lean in and figure out what subset of these people that are focused on price are focused on price because they want to commodify me. They do not want a value-added relationship versus what, what subset are simply immature in their understanding of the good. How do you parse out the folks that really just want to reduce no matter what you say or what you do down to a dollar versus the folks that simply don't know better? I would say the only correction to that would be PM versus BDM. Sure. For the sure. term everybody uses. That BDM has to have the ability to make enough money to get paid and to know that they can turn down people. The way that we've done it, and I can't say that it's right or wrong, is that BDM doesn't get paid unless that property gets leased. Nice. So they want to see a successful onboarding process and if they quote something that's mm -hmm. too high as far as rental rates or they bring on somebody that's really just a pain in the tail then it, they don't get paid for it um, we don't have a retention thing a year later to see if they get paid again because at that point it's really been out of their hands for a year uh, but we I think have to trust them and if something is a ride down the road because we didn't align those goals then we're going to have to re-educate the BDM versus let, let's just not hold a dollar over their head a year or two years down the road. Good night. The, the accounting for that alone is a mess. Mm -hmm. But emotionally, if you're telling me what to do and I'm doing it, let me do my job. Mm -hmm. And if not, then let's talk about what those parameters are. So we feel that that's been the better choice. I, I can't say that there's a right or wrong. I like that. So the alignment totally makes sense. You want folks really feeling the pain if they're stuffing garbage into the portfolio. Oh, it won't function. And, and really, they're just clogging up the space for good clients. Right. So let's not. Right, absolutely. So the BDM is a great example of where departmental versus portfolio gets really serious because when you see companies that have that property manager, and I appreciate your correction, doing the sales and handling those leads, boy, that's not pleasant to watch. I mean, unless it's a really bizarre situation where it's a PM that just somehow has the bandwidth and capacity, and yeah, it's just, it just doesn't work. It's dysfunctional. Let's be honest though, when you get a hold or you see a superior salesperson, they emotionally thrive on closing deals. Mm -hmm. They come into the office or they call 100 people a day and they're internally driven to do that. Property managers are not. Right. I'm not. Right. But that personality type loves mm -hmm. that. And so why cross the two? You know, let people do what they do and do it well instead of forcing somebody to do something that they're not comfortable with, they're not good at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, scale is a legitimate question, right? If you're at 50 doors, if you're at 100 doors, when do you make the leap? Talk me through some of the transitions at your size. Oof. Were there any like numerical, meaningful inflection points that you really felt? Uh, dig into detail with me a little bit more. So, so when we hit certain hurdles. It, well, just like numbers, right? I mean, when you're trying to pay your bills, when you're at 50, 50 units, you're losing money and you're just trying to eat, right? Agreed. You get to 100, maybe you're thinking about hiring that assistant PM. What were kind of the, the revenue numbers that allowed you to have like meaningful change in how the business was structured because of hiring and help? I'm going to back into that. Okay. So revenue numbers is a question we're going to answer. For sure. I'm going to say that as you start with zero, you go to 50, you go to 100. Okay, at 100, you're, you're, you're going home to have a drink at night because you're pulling your hair out. Because you're, you're wearing too many hats. That's right. just the way it is. Right. At 150, you're just hoping that next employee holds on because you can't afford a $60,000 a year mm -hmm. person. Right. But you got to have somebody that doesn't upset the clients and shows up and doesn't quit, blah, blah, blah. I really feel that there's some missed opportunity as you are forced into every one of those different roles. Because when you're starting with 50 or 100, you're doing it all. And, and you're frustrated and you're tired and you're wondering if it's worth the struggle. But every one of those struggles is an opportunity to learn to learn. How do I learn about sales? How do I learn about managing people? How do I learn about uh, anything, any aspect of the business? And what you're going to figure out is... You're not great at all of them. 
you might not even be good at some of them. For sure. And so you need to figure out as you go through those hurdles that this is the opportunity for me to take a moment to learn and observe and figure out what I can and can't do best within the business. And, um, you know, I'll be the first to say that I don't know that any of those tasks, daily tasks or anything that I'm good at. Um, they're they're probably done better by my staff than me because of personality type. Mm-hmm. So you know, at fifty, you're doing it all. At a hundred, you're looking to hire your first person, but you're probably looking at a B player if you're lucky because you can't afford them. I, I got lucky with an A player at that time, but then about two hundred, that A player blew up. She is an outstanding individual. We're still friends, but she burned out. I mean, it's just such a burnout factor, in my opinion, mm-hmm. between one hundred and two hundred, two fifty. You can't afford all the support you need. And maybe you can outsource and be smarter than I am. And there's a lot more options now than there were. But I, I wasn't that smart. And so that one person who was wonderful just blew up. And she's still a great person. But goodness, you take up a lot of abuse in this business when you're at that level. And so I think after after 250, really, you know, you've had different podcasts where people discuss when do you hire that BDM. Even if you can get a true salesperson that will do it part-time and you commission them on a heavy basis because everything they close, you win. If they're really a salesperson, they're willing to make those calls, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I, I, as somebody that's done this at that time, let's just say nine years, had somebody that was willing to do that with me. And they had another job, but they were willing to do it while on the other job because they had the flexibility. They were closing the same rate I was. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it just didn't make sense for me to keep doing it. And I didn't know if it would work or not, mm-hmm. but even at an equal rate, well, I've, I can then do other things, wear other hats, grow the business, and they're performing at the same level I am. Mm-hmm. Um, we've discussed a lot, though, in the past that it's really about putting the money into the future instead of putting the money on the table today. Mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to right. not eat steak today right. so right. that you have a brighter future tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is where that shift in mindset happens, where eventually folks get up to being able, willing to write that check. And then beyond that is the awareness, a new awareness of what you need to know in order to succeed. So let's talk about that. One of the things that we're working on internally is this NARPM accounting standard. With, mm, yes. And I'm super excited about that. One of the documentation pieces that goes along with that kind of outlines the difference between what you need to know with accounting and financial controllership versus what you need to do. What you need to know is really a really (laughs) important area to focus. So in your mind, there's all this stuff to do. And when you're small, you got to do it all. But what are the essential disciplines or domains that as an entrepreneur and a business owner within this specific type of business are really worth knowing? And just as an example, sales marketing tends to get the short end of the stick most often you know we've we've talked through that i know you have more appreciation what are the fundamental core areas of knowledge that are going to provide the the biggest yield in my opinion numbers numbers to the point of if i can make this change next year i can predict the outcome a year from then or the uptake rate three years from now Mm -hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to one of you guys' events and share some information, and I came home with kind of a playbook that other people ahead of me had already established and a grid that I could expand upon. Uh, you know, Brad and San Antonio shared, shared some spreadsheets with me as well and put all those together so that if I extrapolate that and I add staff, I add add-on fees, I increase my dollar per door revenue, whatever it is, I can predict into the future what that looks like without ever having to go there. And to me, if you can't do that, you're operating just with a cloudy future. I don't know. I mean, you just need to be able to know what's going to happen before it happens so that you can make the appropriate changes. So to me, numbers is where business starts. Modeling. Modeling would be a good way to put it, but to the point of I know it historically, mm-hmm. so I can not only say, I think this is going to happen, mm-hmm. but this is what's been proven. We even looked at the BDM um, goals for this year, and instead of just saying, you're going to hit 10 a month, and that's a good number, or 15 a month, or whatever it is, we actually took the weights 
of the percentages from the months of the years prior to create the goals for this year. Oh, so in January, it's worth just per se 7.3% of the annual closure rate and your closure rate is 20% or whatever. And yeah. therefore you should be able on the current number of leads that we provide for you to deliver X. Mm -hmm. And so we can come up with those goals. So you've got to know historically as well as modeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. So the opportunity there that I see is you go to the conference, you get an idea, oh, this is exciting. But if it's an idea in just about any area of the business, it's something that could be modeled out. You know, you have some assumptions. We're going to implement this. Well, what do we anticipate the changes? And that's where really kind of thinking through some of the scenarios. For you, when we talk about modeling, we um, because we work together as a profit coach client, there's some forecasting and things that we do like that. Can you talk to me about the data gaps in this business that are common? No matter what property management software you use, there are always gonna be some gaps. Like what is what is still a pain for you in terms of like key data to manually kind of collate and keep tabs on? Uh, for me personally, I like numbers. So I can't say I have a lot of gaps in personal, but I'll say as an industry, it's benchmarking all day long. Uh, we just don't know what other people are doing. And that's a problem. Uh, I don't know why everybody is so siloed, uh, also to legislation, but another topic there. Mm -hmm. Why are we all so scared to share it? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I got the opportunity to go to a, an outing with you guys a couple years back, and a lot of people declined that invitation. And I don't think it was the price tag, although some folks are not willing to put the money on the table. I think it was because they were scared to mm -hmm. uh, disclose. To disclose, that's a nice way of putting it. I was gonna be a little bit more flavorful. <laughs> but, um, you know, show what's behind the curtain. Right. And the truth is, if you're not willing to open up your heart, open up yourself, you can't really have anybody give you the depth of feedback and, and care. And even on a personal basis, you know, with your family or wherever, you can't receive the love if you're not willing to open up and give it. Mm -hmm. So you've gotta have the guts to say, show me how I'm doing poorly, please help me. And then you'll get correction from people that actually do care about you. Because whether it's you guys or whether it's peers in another city, these are really good people in their heart, mm -hmm. you know, especially the ones that are doing well at this. Mm -hmm. They've got money. You know, they're not they're not out there trying to ask anything from you. They really want to help, mm -hmm. genuine. So to me, you've just got to be open to that. But benchmarking and knowing what others are doing is the big big missing piece of this whole puzzle. For sure, yeah. Framing of actually what's going on within the business. What works? I love that you brought up financial modeling because it really puts some parameters around all these different ideas. Ideas should have merit based on the priority of how they're gonna advance your goals. So we're walking out of 2018 into 2019. Talk to me a little bit about goals. Where are you, <laughs> where are you trying to, to take the business here in 2019? So uh, as we model the numbers, so unit count, um, we should, if we do nothing different and even have the same attrition, we should close the year with about 30% growth or close 500 from 385 this year. But to be honest with you, because that seems to be so dialed in, we don't even care about it. it it's on track. Um, the odd thing I'm going to tell you is, is that I'm not worried about anything except cleaning up internal things this entire year. Uh, I think a lot of people are out looking, what's the latest thing? How do I achieve the maximum growth? How do I? All I want to do is take the knowledge that I've gotten from working with you guys, working from our peers, uh, reading textbooks. So we have a leadership team at work and we actually, I assign them a book, buy it, form, deliver it. And we get together and review what we learn once a month uh, to try to develop leaders instead of just paying someone to do a mm -hmm. job. Um, that to me, cleaning up our house internally with all the things that are already on the table is this entire year. I'm really looking at nice. 2020, to be honest. Mm. 2019 is started and I feel like I'm already a month behind the curve and we're just a week into it. So I want to implement everything that we've already got knowledge of that works. Mm -hmm. You know, when I walked in your office, there's a, a book and I don't know if you want me to name it or not, but sitting in the corner, the one we didn't talk about, it's blown my mind. Oh, you read that? Blown my mind. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I try to read about two books a month nice. that are business related yeah. and then personal if there's time left. Nice. But to the point of we're not reading another book next month, I'm going to get a room at the Lakeway Resort and probably silo myself and a staff member until we can implement that entire thing. And I'm hiring a new person in Mexico to do nothing but oversee Ooh. the programs Ooh. that we can develop out of that book. But it's, it's more comprehensive. The book is, okay, this is a pretty nutshell and all yeah. that. 
But there's so many facets you can extrapolate that to in your business Mm -hmm. to make it a comprehensive experience. Uh, The experience is the best word I can say. So we're going to expand... um, I don't know if I should mention this or not. Go ahead. Cut me off, but we do. We have the brokerage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spun off the maintenance company a few years back, and now it does double the business of the brokerage. We're very proud of that, and we have opened uh, and are starting in the vacation rental space. So that'll be our third. And I've been really impressed at the knowledge that crosses over from the industries. Mm-hmm. Not as much on the maintenance side, although you can apply a lot of things there. But from the vacation rental industry, and we've got some colleagues doing this. It's about guest experience. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about experience, this right. this is reminiscent right. of books I've read mm-hmm. about Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go to Disney because there's just a ride there. It's all encompassing from the moment you're on their website to the look of the tickets mm-hmm. to the sounds when you walk through the front gate the in smells. the parking lot. You know, everything. And so um, I think one of the best retail stores in the nation was like inside Disneyland in California mm-hmm. or something last year. They do some kind of retail awards. And it's, it's all these facets wrapped up together, so uh, I, don't, I don't know how I got on this that far, but that book is really our entire year this year. 2019 is all about customer experience and cleaning up things in-house. If we do nothing else but change the entire customer experience and clean up all the things that we've learned at PM Grow and all these other conventions, it's going to be an unbelievable 2020, but let's not keep adding things to the plate that we're not executing. I like that. All right, so let's, let's frame that. I mean, part of that feels a little... Part of that feels fueled by the fact that you're profitable, right? Like you're making money. In all fairness, we're profitable, but profitable is uh, subjective. Um, I feel that my profit margin this year is nowhere near what it should be, and I'm very <laughs> unhappy about that. But it's not a negative number. It's not negative. <laughs> you're, you're correct. It's not negative. So for the folks that where it's a negative number or it's zero or it's you know, really, really low, there is more urgency. There is a little more frenetic, kind of frantic scrambling to figure out how to do these big changes just to restructure. But once you get to a certain level of, of performance, tightening the ship makes sense. And that's awesome that you were able to be so, at that place. How long did that take before you, for you to get there? Not long. Uh, we've we've stayed profitable uh, for the majority of it, honestly, because I worked two jobs when it got started and I was bootstrapping. And even as I hired my first employee, I worked two jobs. So I never looked at the business as a way to extrapolate money. Mm-hmm. But what you're speaking to is people who are negative. And I think you're you're kind of asking me, you know, what, what should those people do that are currently not profitable? Mm-hmm. And... I have only spoken a couple times at different chapters, but I can tell you that the, the basis of everything I have to share with people who are not profitable is if you're in this business and you're not profitable, it's your own fault. I'm not being a butt about it, but you're not listening to the things that people are sharing with you because the information is already here. There's consultants, whether it's you guys, there's colleagues that are friends that mm-hmm. truly care and would help you. Mm-hmm. Um, don't sell your soul you know, and sell your business and and hire somebody who's going to take all your money. You don't need to do that. People will help you if you ask for it and you're open. But the number one thing that I saw is egocentric. I'm going to do this my way Mm -hmm. or I'm going to do this the way it was done 20 years ago. And Sears this week is not only bankrupt, but may close within a week because they were doing it and they were not innovating. And Sears had products I, I still want to buy. You know, who don't want the Kenmore washer dryer, right? I mean, Whirlpool is okay, but it's still not Kenmore. And they're going to be gone because they didn't keep innovating. So we have to change whether we like it or not. It's mm-hmm. not about us. It's not about whether we're good people or not. And so when I speak to these, these groups or somebody asks me as a friend, brother, it's add-on fees. It's a 50-50 split. Your management fees are keeping the lights on and that's mm-hmm. it. So if you if you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, well, I don't want to hurt these people. I don't want to overcharge them. That's very kind and considerate of you at the detriment of your own family. Mm-hmm. You go buy an airline ticket, you're going to pay to put bags on there that are extra. Mm-hmm. If you want anything mm-hmm. extra at any other business, mm-hmm. you expect to pay for that. Mm-hmm. You want cable? You get basic cable. <laughs> oh, you want HBO? Well, that's extra. Oh, you want this? Well, that and that's life. It's it, there's nothing wrong with that because you're asking for something extra, you get something extra. Mm-hmm. But this is the way it is, and so we even have tenants that you know some of my reviews are not pleasant, as a lot of people, because the tenants complain about fees. Well, who wants to complain? Me, the tenant, or the owner? 
Because somebody's going to complain. Either I'm not going to make money and my mm -hmm. family's not going to have food on the table. Mm -hmm. The owner's going to complain because we don't we charge too much and therefore they don't want to hire us. Or the tenant's going to complain. Tenant's going to lose that battle because they're still leasing the property. Now, we don't want to go outside what the market will assume and sure. take on. But somebody has to put that money on the table. So no matter how you slice and dice it, start charging. That's just the way it is if you want to stay in business. So to me, even at 100 units, 150, 50, you may have to supplement your income if you've, you've got 20 units, let's be real. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the business is profitable. This industry functions. So if you're really frustrated and you're having trouble, I would say either get with somebody like the profit coach, get with a colleague, a friend that cares about you in another city, but something's amiss and you should be able to model that pretty quickly. Mm, yeah, you brought up a really, really good topic. So when we talk about fees, what I would like to call revenue maximization, sure. that, that's the kick sure. I'm on right now. Revenue maximization for the business. Let's talk about the nuance in this conversation because the lack of nuance is like, A, we can't talk about it. B, if you're charging too much, you're greedy. The nuance here starts first with talking about the difference between disclosure versus non-disclosure. It would be understandable if I buy the airline ticket and I step foot on the airplane and then they did tell me that there's 20 other fees coming. But I knew that ahead of time. I knew I was gonna have to pay 25 bucks to put my bag up on Frontier Airlines and that's why I personally, with that one airline, just choose not to fly on because the way that they do it with Frontier, the base price on the ticket is so low. It's like having a, you know, whatever, three, four percent <laughs> management fee and then making all the rest of it up in ancillary fees. There's nothing unethical about that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's one way to do business. It's not my preference. I'd rather fly on Southwest or Alaska Airlines, but disclosure is a really important point to distinguish between its presence or its absence. The other half of the conversation is when folks say things like, well, I don't want to charge those fees because I wouldn't want it charged to me. Well, Matt, if it was up to me, I don't want to pay anything. How about a 0% management fee? Well, but what does that have to do with making, making money or running a business? So I have an assumption because we know each other and, and the people that we hang out with are, are really a long-term players and uh, or that, that I would like to hang out with, should I say. Um, and so my assumption is that they're doing everything the right way because they don't want to look over their shoulder, they sleep well at night. And so full disclosure is the only the only option, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Trying to hide something is not, that's not running a business, that's um, theft, mm -hmm. a shell game. So to me, that's off the table. But what you did share was that whether we can or can't discuss fees, and I'd like to share with you that when we go to a conference that we consistently go to, people get up and freak the heck out about discussion of fees. So the point of you're going, okay, I'm just going to go get a coffee and wait till this to die down. I went to the Vacation Rental Management International Conference in Vegas, and one of the one of the programs that they put on, which I targeted the speakers afterwards for knowledge, was here's our fees. Here's how we're charging them. What do you want to know? And here it is on the table. Let's discuss right. it. So the, the cultural norms to me are really interesting in their yeah. variance. Um, and if you're saying it's a federal government antitrust issue, well, that applies to all business. So it's not whether it's mm -hmm. licensed, unlicensed. Right. So. I, I don't know, you know, to me, let's have a private conversation and maybe we did discuss it, maybe we didn't, but other people are doing it, so it just seems blown out of proportion with me. If fees are fees, like you want a list, let right. me just publish a list, charge you $5, everybody can buy the list, we're not discussing it. Right. It's just, how you slice and dice it, you've got to get to the fees. Yeah, well, this is another area of nuance. The nuance here is collusion is wrong. Do not collude with other people in your market to defraud the consumer. Price fixing. Yeah, exactly. But just talking about what you make, I mean, how can you have a, any kind of a meaningful functional conversation about business without talking about the thing that directly ties to revenue? And, and let's be honest, the government wants their tax money. Huh? Right. So the, the more money we make, the more we pay in taxes. I can attest that I'm just astonished at the, the taxes that I'm paying. But um, <laughs> either way, the governor's, government's getting their revenue, so they can cry all they want, but they're not turning down my checks. Yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, it feels like the industry has some PTSD around the antitrust action that happened. I, I don't know how this came up, but somebody must have uh, died in the event because <laughs> it's just over the top. And, and I get we all want to be respectful and cautious, but let's be real too, this is still a free country. Right, yeah, and pricing is such a big lever. What's so interesting is that with any recurring revenue business model, pricing is one of the biggest changes that you can make. You can think about all these changes we can make in the business. Some of them are really high effort, high time, they're complex. Pricing, I'm not gonna say it's not complicated. I mean, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into it, but in terms of 
the infrastructure, unless we're talking about some crazy pricing model where there's a bunch of app folio fees, et cetera. In general, with that base management fee, raising that by a half point, lowering it by a quarter point has such a profound impact on how you do business. Like it's a pretty high ROI thing to be considering. Talk to me a little bit about how your thinking about pricing has changed from day one till now. Did you, was this a journey for you? I mean, did you start off early on thinking like you were gonna be the discount guy? How, what's your journey look like? Uh, yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest lesson that I learned in this, which became a true life lesson for me, not just a management lesson, was learning how to learn. And when I say that, I don't mean picking up a book. I mean being completely open to challenging everything that I think and to stop thinking I know anything right and to start looking out there at what is working and what is not working and then modeling it and then figuring out if I can apply it and then trusting my gut that it'll work. I went into this thinking, well, I just want to put food on the table. So what can I charge that people will sign up for? And I, and I did some discounts at first because you've got to put food on the table. Let's get real. Mm -hmm. um, after we got those customers in there, I started seeing that I, I needed to grow, but I didn't want to grow unprofitable. But I still didn't have much overhead, right? You didn't have an office at the time, you're working out of your home, whatever it may be. So you can get away with continuing to charge less. But then you've got some owners who make you miserable. So how do I fire owners and still charge less? Okay, do I want to be more profitable, charge more? Where do I go into this? So. We evolved, um, you're talking about a couple different things. Where does revenue come from? Where do your referrals come from? And then where do you go on fees as well as management fees? Uh, we evolved to increase our fees over time comprehensively one way or the other, whether it's leasing, add-on, mm -hmm. monthly, however you want to slice and dice it. Um, but really what I noticed, whether it was the books I was reading or the environment that we live in, this is a personal opinion and it's okay if everybody disagrees. Um, I believe that flat fee model is where life is going because the consumers don't care to listen or do math. They have the intellect. They don't have the time. Mm -hmm. We are so bombarded with information and likes and messages all day that we cannot take in and digest any more data in my opinion. So. Do you want to spend time doing math or clicking on cat videos on Facebook? Mm -hmm. And people have chosen cat videos. So when I would try to sit down with somebody and go, hey, let me show you how we're actually cheaper, mm -hmm. glazed over before I even got to the end of the sentence. They want to be able to look at something, make a quick decision on purchase, and feel good about it. And that's about as far as it goes. To the point of no one reads the agreements, no one reads disclosures, no one reads processes or looks at mm -hmm. the videos, even though we've got an abundance out there. And then we're having to re-educate them, and so how do we build mm -hmm. that back into the experience that they have? But yeah, it was an evolution, so we went from uh, percentage to flat. Um, I'll say that I, I, I haven't had any consumers because they it just went from A to B, say, oh, I love this, or I don't love this, because we left people, because you don't want to start mixing it up if they're already happy. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel as though it's been very healthy for us on different levels, whether it's increased revenue, whether I believe it's a little bit better uptake and closures. Mm -hmm. It's definitely more simple for the consumer, which can only be a good thing. No doubt, simplicity always wins. Do you want to network with other grade A entrepreneurs that are ready to talk more than simple day-to-day -day operations? Are you interested in expanding your business through cutting-edge sales, marketing, and growth strategies? If so, you need to be at the 2019 PM Growth Summit held in April in Austin, Texas. Check it out at pmgrowsummit.com. Learn what the difference is between hope and actual results. It's called taking action. That's what we do collectively at the PM Grow Summit by being, bringing in world-class speakers, world-class attendees. Get more information at pmgrowsummit.com. It's interesting that flat fee, I feel like it almost kind of has a bad name simply because I feel like Renner's Warehouse is kind of identified as with having pushed that out and Renner's Warehouse, <clears throat> they are admittedly, I mean, it's in their brand that they're more of a discount model. Flat fee doesn't mean low fee, right? No. I mean, flat fee can be 500 bucks no, a month. No, absolutely not. And that's what we've actually found is by 
charging this and then tweaking the leasing fees, we can find something that's more palatable uh, for the consumer. And we can actually go to them instead of just with, hey, we charge one flat fee, which I think is what RW does. Um, we can actually go out and go, we have three flat fees. We're going to help you select the best one for your property, and I'll deliver you the answer once we look at your property. So you're not even having to pick that. So yeah, it's flat, but let me show you why this is the best one. So it makes it even easier for you to choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. So in terms of the overall makeup of fees, you mentioned 50-50. Is that where you think really ideally it should move to in terms of the mix of base management fee versus all the other ancillary fees? Total personal opinion, I feel like it's a reasonably healthy place to go. Um, I do feel like the fee discussion gets extrapolated to how much can I abuse the tenant for. Sure. And I do think there needs to be some reasonable value, mm -hmm. but 50-50 seems to be a healthy range um, that, I, that I've seen in the environment or the industry. So let's pivot to some of those other areas that are related to ancillary fees, maintenance being the first one of them. You mentioned that you have decided to break out and do a full-blown separate maintenance company. This is an interesting position. There's a lot of talk about this, and a lot of what I hear is, I tried that, doesn't work. It was a pain in the rear. What is the difference between folks that break that out and succeed versus stumble? So let's be clear that if um, you don't want another headache, you don't have a GM that can run it, and you don't love being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. Don't even think about right. it. Um, we have a colleague who, um, from the best of my knowledge, he gets a 10% rebate from his vendors and he charges 10% on maintenance. So he makes a 20% spread on all the maintenance with zero headache. If I thought I could have pulled that off, I might not have taken the maintenance company and, and broke it out. Mm. But now that we're a few years down the road with the maintenance company, the portion of business that my brokerage fed them last year, even though we don't use them for everything, is down to 20% or less of their revenue. So the big thing I would say is stop naming businesses after yourself because you're only going to get phone calls of people complaining to you and it's not all about you. Right. And you don't want people to find you at a certain point. Right. And it needs to be a whole other brand because... While some consumers love it that you're doing it all, we have a lot of complaints as well when when it was under the same umbrella. Well, are they sister companies? Well, do you own the same? Well, you're, you're doing something wrong. And the truth is we deliver a quality and a service that's below anybody else we can find. Or my PMs have the ability to go to somebody else if they're not delivering that. There's no requirement that our clients are forced to use a maintenance company. But I can tell you that we can cut anybody on cost and quality because mm -hmm. we know what they deliver. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got to take that and, and build a whole other brand, which is a whole other business do different, I mean, colors, flags, everything. And if you're willing to do that, to me, in my opinion, maintenance and uh, contracting in Texas, different states or different laws, is a weak pond. And you want to be in a weak pond. You don't, you're not going to go open a, a computer chip company tomorrow in your bedroom. Like, let's be real. You're outclassed. But if you go into something that's dirty, I mean, for instance, in Austin, there's a a female who's been in the septic business for years. Nobody touches her. Mm. She kills it. And, and everybody's got respect for her. You know, what else do you want? Because it was a weak pond. Who wants to be in the poop business? Mm -hmm. I know another guy who has a lazy river at his house who's in the latrine business. He delivers those porta potties mm -hmm. um, across the city and the region and everything else. He, he's, he's got a yacht in Lauderdale and a lazy river at his house out here and blah, blah, blah. And the guy's off the track. It's a weak pond. So maintenance, in my opinion, is a weak pawn, but treat it like another business, spin it off, and don't expect it to start generating that much money. There's not, it's not a 50% profit margin. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist because you're getting undercut. You can't compete with people who are good humans and illegal labor. You're not mm -hmm. gonna compete. So you've mm -hmm. gotta find your niche in there, mm -hmm. know your niche, and then you gotta just basically grow it so that that margin stays within mm -hmm. a healthy range. But again, I'm not generating. 20% like I could some of these other guys are. I just was willing to wait and let it grow beyond that scale to where the net profit was greater than I could have done with just 20% of my business. Yeah, man, there was a lot of good stuff there. So the Sorry first, to ramble. The first thing you said was get the check and you're pretty agnostic about how you get it. If you can have that fat maintenance markup spread and you gotta figure out, you figured out a way to do that, you got the check, good for you. If that's not where it's coming from you or 
if you feel like maybe you want to scale, and I think that's what clarifies what you were saying about make it a separate company, et cetera. So you do all that. What percentage of the maintenance business's revenue comes from the servicing of your property management business portfolio versus other work orders? This this year, 2018, less than 20%. Less than 20%. All right. So that's really where it comes we from. We diversify. So how excited would you be about the maintenance business, uh, the separate maintenance business, if all it was doing was servicing your PM portfolio? I wouldn't do it. Okay. Well, there you go. So, I mean, that really, that really frames the opportunity here. Unless you're managing three or 4,000 units, you need to go into this having a mind's eye to really see your path towards servicing a lot of other companies, not just your own portfolio. I think that's really the gap here of what we're talking about. And that's where it's like, it's like you said, if you don't want the pain that comes from starting a new business, then why go down this path? Take your 10% and go to the bank, laugh about it. You know, whether it's a rebate, whether it's, you know, 10% on all the maintenance you do, however you charge it, it doesn't matter, slice and dice. But even if you're just getting 10, but you have zero headache on it and you don't want to go into another business, don't do it. So the, the parallels though, even though it's a separate company, are still pretty significant with doing maintenance internally, small shop, you got a couple of techs. What does it take to actually have a consistent group of high quality vendors and labor that doesn't just constantly and endlessly churn. What have you learned? Um, when we had it in-house or as it was split out? So you still work with some third-party vendors, correct? Sure, sure. So, so talk to me first about just managing vendors and finding reliable ones. I would say it was trial and error for us, but locally owned, healthy businesses that have been in business a while and are growing are kind of a no-brainer. Uh, in Austin, mm -hmm. can I name drop? Is that okay? Feel free. So Christensen Heat and Air is a locally owned company. If they don't want your business, like you call them and say, hey, can you do this something funky? They'll go, no. But if you call and you say, hey, Teresa, uh, this is so-and-so. I've been talking to you for the last 10 years. She's like, what do you need? Because she answers the phone every day. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get that with some of these little in-business, out-of-business companies or some that are multi-city and simply you go to a call mm -hmm. center and they don't care. Mm -hmm. So I really like healthy, larger single market or two market businesses that you get the same person mm -hmm. on the phone every time you call. And I feel like some of those are trial and error, but you know it. Like They, they either treat you right or they don't. They're tight on their billing too, so don't get your, your tail hurt mm -hmm. if they call and ask you to pay your bills. Mm -hmm. Good night. Some of these property managers don't pay their bills for 30 or 60 days. It's not their money. Like, where's the money? I don't understand it. We had two, at least, if not three PMs last year in Austin bounce security deposit checks of properties that we took from them. Wow. So I call them and say, can I buy your business? And they go, no, we're fine. We all know that's not going to go well, but uh, apparently Trek still doesn't want to step in and, and uh, audit books. So what, whatever, that's not my job to, to check up on. But uh, yeah, I think you've got a trial and error. Listen to what's going on and uh, appreciate it when they ask you to pay your bills because that means their books are in order too. Don't don't get offended about stuff. Realize it's a, it's got to be a good relationship, you know, and you... There's so many meetings we've gone to where people go, oh, let's beat up the vendors, beat up the vendors. Why the heck would you beat up a vendor? Right. I mean, if they're abusing you, that's a discussion. Sure, sure, sure. But come on, this is right. a win-win. We've got to build relationships, stay in business. And if you take care of them, when you need something, they take care of you. They're humans. Mm -hmm. I love that, yeah. I mean, so really what you're saying is you can fight over a couple of extra points of margin that you could squeeze out of that vendor, or you could focus on working with quality people that are reliable, that are going to be there when you need them to answer the phone. What you're saying is fighting for scrapping for those couple extra margin points just might not be worth it. Put another fee on your attendance. <laughs> Put another fee for add-on services. Make it up yourself. Yeah, just if you're having a negative relationship with somebody or calling them to squeeze them, that is going to go south. It's a matter of when. I mean, we've heard of Walmart treating their vendors that way, mm -hmm. and that's been going on for years. I don't know if you shop at Walmart. I can't go in there. Nothing wrong if you do. But to me, it's like one of the most depressed. It's the opposite of Disney. It is the saddest place on the planet. <laughs> You're killing me. I've been in a Walmart recently. I know what you're talking about. I think what my wife said was she's willing to go in, but there are certain hours and like past a certain time. Everybody's just sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. But, you know, they are, um, they're servicing a subset of the market. They deliver good products at very low prices right, and that's right. all great, right. but it just makes me depressed. Yeah. So let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about that band and that spectrum between Disney and Walmart in terms of the service offering that you provide. 
how wide is that band of service quad? Do you, do you have Ooh. tiers? Do you have packages? Um, I wish I was that good. I'll say that I believe that you can certainly do tiers, but we're also talking about service quality deliverable to the tenant versus the owner. Sure. And um, I don't know that the owners are willing, I don't believe owners are willing to pay for Disney, but I do believe that they expect Disney. So there is a balance in there somewhere, and I don't know that it's related as much to cost on our end as much as care about the people. We are so focused. How many podcasts have you done on numbers and money? Five or six? A lot. Yeah. A lot. More than that. I mean, five or six explicitly hardcore focus. Yeah, it, it, this is, everyone talks it. about how closure rates, money, numbers, add-on fees. I don't hear but one or two percent talking about customer service experience, mm -hmm. not just answering the phone. And how do the clients feel? I mean, what, what kind of feedback are we getting? When's the last time anyone did a consumer survey of the clients in their business? We just did one of tenants, we're gonna roll out another one of owners, saying, if you dislike us, can you tell us why? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I need to hear from you and mm -hmm. hear some things that we're gonna tweak and we own this. And I mean, it's kind of political almost. You know, you go to people and how do we make you happy? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter which party you're from, you still gotta get elected. Right. So um, I think there's a couple different experiences. People are not, in my opinion, willing to pay for Disney, but they expect Disney. Mm -hmm. So how do you deliver that in a cost-effective way? Mm -hmm. uh, from the tenant experience, to me, it's even more simplistic because their expectations are that they hate you when they walk in the door. Mm -hmm. You're here to get me, you represent the landlord, and my everything's gonna be bad. So really, it's not too hard to, to go above that bar, but you've actually got to do something that's deliverable, not just say it. And that's why our whole next year is about deliverables because all these books have great ideas, all the conversations we have are brilliant. And then, and then, so 2019 is about making it happen. I like it, it's customer experience, man. That could be a great new podcast. <clears throat> Theme, how did you hear about that book, by the way? Never Lose Another Customer by Joey Coleman? Uh, I don't know, but I uh, I like CBS this morning. Sometimes they have the authors yeah. on. I also Google like business books. And then Harvard Business Review has a lot of things that come out. Um, and so I'll mm -hmm. get their books or their suggestions. And uh, some of the books are not real applicable and they just ramble. Um, Dalio, I think. Ray Dalio, Principles. Good night, that thing drug on forever. <laughs> I, I mean, love I struggled with that book. Um, finished it, but it was a it was painful. Uh, but some of these <laughs> others you get into and you're like, how was I such an idiot? There's a billboard there and I never read the billboard. Yeah. You know, it's just obvious to the yeah. answers. So I love it. So talk to me about professional development. Are there any mm -hmm. programs that you've invested in that have really moved the needle for you? Uh, I'm gonna say the the least costly and the most effective thing I've done by far is going to build relationships with colleagues. Mm. So uh, again, I've had a few people that were just uber gracious to me over the years and people that have continued to, to open their doors. And I will say, I would like to come visit you. I admire what you do. I will scrub toilets and I've got my hat in hand. May I come please visit? And uh, one of the people that we visited in the vacation rental side in Orlando a month ago in December, was so dialed in. We met with her for probably an hour and a half. She delivered to me an entire franchise in a box. Wow. She's not franchised. She was so detailed that everything she did, she sent me by email at her desk. Policies and procedures, samples of everything, contracts, the entire nine years. And here's the best part of what I got out of that particular one. She is not tech forward. She is actually 10 years behind in tech. They don't even use web apps. They're still server-based. They, they're not doing anything that is the latest and greatest at all, and the employees didn't have hardly any paper on their desk. They're simply delivering experience and care, mm. and she's making a really good living. <clears throat> so it's not all about the latest and greatest, but I would say visiting colleagues mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity, because yeah. you get to build those relationships. Now, right. I can call them. Obviously, you say, you know, send them a thank you note, mm -hmm. you call them and thank you, you thank their staff, you send them stuff. I mean, come on, it's, it's back to people. But now if I need anything, I can call and go, hey, I'm an idiot, can you help me? And they laugh and they help you because they care about you. Mm -hmm. So that would be number one. The other is um, 
I'm, I'm really astonished that the group that we put together, you put together, and I was able to attend a few years ago, didn't take off. And I think it's because nobody wants to show what's behind the curtain. We never tried doing another one, man. And I've, I've asked you several times. To do another. <laughs> I offered to pay up front for the next one um, because I got so much out of it. <laughs> and it blew me away that people weren't jumping at the opportunity. So that was one. And then the other is, uh, I think, you know, coaching, like you guys are doing. But the coaching is really low-hanging fruit like if you're not doing a bare minimum of some coaching or benchmarking mm. I don't know how you even know what you're doing context you just don't know what's going on out there and it needs to be outside of your circle of friends mm -hmm. so this is, we're getting meta now but any advice on how to have a conversation have a productive conversation with the colleague you go to broker owner you're bullshitting with folks talking about I'm doing this you're doing that a lot of folks have suggestions or ideas, and it's like, hey, I'm doing this thing. I don't know your context, but you should do it too, right? There's that kind of naive oh. excitement. Sure. How do you how do you wade through fact from fiction to actually pull meaningful insights out of folks, knowing that not everybody is willing to just like you know open up their PNL on the spot, you know? So I don't think most people open their P&L on the spot, nor do they need to. I think that's a relationship thing, mm -hmm. and, and that's down the road. You know, I, I this person in Orlando, I never asked to look at her numbers. She shared stuff mm -hmm. she wanted to share, right, right. because it wasn't the appropriate time. Now, your outing that we had, that was stated up front. It was the appropriate time. The benchmarking, it's already there. So all that is kind of in context. Um, I, I, I don't know. I really think that you have to continue to educate yourself beyond just the trade group. Um, you need to be reading a book a month at a bare minimum to get a context to know from a business standpoint with your gut where your weak points are. Mm -hmm. If you don't sure. already know where your sure. deficits are because you have a little bit of context on how the whole painting goes, mm -hmm. is number five yellow or is number two yellow? If you're color by number, you mm -hmm. don't know what the association is. So mm -hmm. you kind of need to have a little bit broader knowledge context, have conversation, and then bring all that back to your gut and go, okay, I'm only going to do two things until they're done. Mm -hmm. there, there's, it's blowing me away every year. There's the latest and greatest and there's some new trend and all. I, I'm, I'm still a year behind. I don't know about everybody else. And, and the stuff we're doing that we're a year behind on, I feel like is vitally important. So I don't even want to hear about anything else. Mm -hmm. So part of it is like go in with problems to solve. Know what your specific needs are. Analyze yourself. Like know what your deficits are. Own them. Because every one of us has them. Nobody is, is perfect in this. I, I know a couple people that they're doing pretty well and they actually look perfect from the outside, but I think that we've all got our baggage, man. You know, yeah. in the past 40, everything's, you know, starts changing directions and we've all got our baggage. So uh, own your baggage and go, and people will help you with it. If you, if you, who, who have you gone to and said, will you help me? That goes, no. Yeah. I mean, I've been to one person and the reason they gave me was so honest and correct. I went, I get it. Thanks. It's all good. You know, everybody else I've ever asked for anything in this in this yeah. industry is help. Dude, you're so right. People want to help. People want to be useful, and particularly when you reciprocate, right? Correct. I mean, it's like the law of abundance. I'm totally with that. You mentioned owning your problems. Tell me the monkey story, Matt. So I got this idea from one of our friends. Um, so as we've grown, we, we almost doubled staff last year, and that was ahead of what we needed. We knew we were going to go into a little deficit to get these people on board, but then they're ready for the busy season. We don't have to add again, blah, blah, blah. So we ended up with all these people and, um, people kept coming to me. And at this point I've got two businesses and we're opening a third. So there's just, and I'm not willing to work Eight 16 hours. hours a day. I'm just, I'm not willing to. Um, and that's okay. They kept coming to me. Can you solve this? Can you solve it? Will you do that? And so I bought about uh, 20 little bitty stuffed uh, monkeys. Uh, they're little cute things. They're, what, what are they, like $4 on mm -hmm. Amazon? And this whole box of monkeys shows up at the office. And everybody's, what the hell? So I started throwing the monkeys out. And uh, I sat them down. I said, now, I want you to notice this. This monkey is I have right here. I've named him. And this is my monkey. He goes on my desk. He goes with me everywhere I go. He's with me at night. He's with me in the mornings. You've all got your monkeys. When you come to my office, you can bring your monkey and you're leaving with your monkey because I don't have room for two monkeys. So I'll help you solve things. I'll troubleshoot with you. There's some admin stuff that is owners that we're the only ones that can do. And that's, that's safe. That's healthy, mm -hmm. protecting the business. Don't leave your monkey on my desk because I will throw it at you as you leave the room. 
I'm here to support you, help you, troubleshoot with you, give you ideas, talk through it with you. And what's really interesting and, and so cool was uh, the staff had begun this, but that was kind of the catalyst for it to really go in. They started self-initiating internal meetings. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking me, hey, what do you think about this? Or could you talk to so-and-so? They started plotting meetings with each other to solve mm -hmm. problems with mm -hmm. processes mm -hmm. in each other. Mm -hmm. And now it's gotten to the point of interpersonal meetings. Mm -hmm. So because... Let's be honest, sales and ops don't like each other in any industry there is. Mm -hmm. So how do you get those two personalities to get along? They gotta talk. Sit down and just talk. Hey, you don't have to like me, I don't have to like you, or we respect each other, but we're very different people, now what? So can we still function on a daily basis without getting butthurt, you know, mm -hmm. and, and our feelings? Well, you gotta talk, there's no solution to that. And so it really was the catalyst to get them all to start owning their own business in a healthy, fun, playful way instead of just telling them, go fly a kite. Because mm. that's not productive. <laughs> I love that. So I just had a staff meeting, hired some new folks, went out to Portland. And one of the things that I told the, <clears throat> the team was, Guys, I'm in charge because I started the business. Not because I'm the smartest person in the room, right. or I'm the most capable, right. but it's because I started it. It's circumstantial. And therefore, if you have ideas, or you think something really needs to be done in a certain area, step up. Don't look to me as the only arbiter of truth and reality and good ideas. And when you see people step up in that way, isn't that just so rewarding to see people, just to not be involved in some solutions? It gives me a great emotional reward when I see my people care about what they do and feel good about it. But I think in this industry, I have seen, and not with the top tier, but I have seen a lot of micromanaging. Mm. You can't. Let's just say it right now. You either trust your people and empower them and let them run and give them rope to fail, mm -hmm. or you don't. There's really no in-between. Now, you can coach them and say, I see this, look out for it, but run with the rope. They're going to cost you money. They're going to break things. What is what is the adage I've been hearing lately? You know, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Yep, right. Give them rope and, and let them break things and then recap with them, debrief, brief, debrief, and go, what did we learn? Yeah, I won't do that again. And they'll love you for it because they know that you care about them beyond just the money. Mm -hmm. They need to personally grow and feel mm -hmm. trusted. Mm -hmm. And if you give them that trust and they're worthy of it, where else would they go? People will rise to the occasion. They really do. Um, and if they don't, then that's an indication of a bad fit. Right. But th they'll deliver or they won't deliver. They determine that. You don't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not personal. It's just not a good fit. And uh, what's the other? Oh, um, not candid conversations, but... Um, Radical candor. candor. Yes. Radical if you candor. haven't read that, just go ahead and order on Amazon today. <laughs> it's kind of personal and business life changing. If you're not having conversations telling people how they're failing in a mm -hmm. caring way, loving mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. you're failing them. You're holding them on hostage yep. and holding back their future. Mm -hmm. um, our BDM and I, I didn't know if we were going to be able to work together. She talked to me for two years. And finally, after reading that book, she kept going, I want to work with you. I want. So I sat down, you know, may I have your permission to give you some feedback? Yes, you may. Okay. Here's exactly how I feel. And she's like, I get it. And it, it was the best conversation. And so now we're having those every day, not with her, but mm -hmm. with everyone, because it's really caring about them when you're on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Boy, we could make a whole separate podcast about that, but leaning into hard conversations, saying what needs to be said, opens up so many possibilities. And it really, you're, you're absolutely right. It is caring. It is loving to say what's on your mind. And I think part of this conversation is about getting off of right and wrong. <clears throat> My coach has this saying, and it's like a, it's kind of like a prefix to a comment. Like, there's a thing I want to say, and one way that you can diffuse it is to say what I make up about the situation what I, make up, what I make up about it Matt is that you know you're doing XYZ and I'm just acknowledging I could be wrong but it's in my head and I'm feeling it and therefore it's worth talking about 100% yeah yeah I've used that several times and it's come up and, and even in personal relationships I'm probably wrong about this but because I don't have the information the story in my head looks like this mm. and then the other person goes 
well, that is nowhere near the reality. And you're like, great. Let's talk about it. Help explain to me what's going on. Yeah. And then the whole thing dissipates. Everybody, you know, hugs and, and you go on with the day. Uh, otherwise, you just keep this idea in your head that goes over and over and mm -hmm. over. So we, we mm -hmm. I think, as a society, have to start being more open to each other. Obviously, it's easy yes. to, to pick our industry. Then having open conversations and going, hey, man, I love you. Even if we don't agree on all these topics it's still okay life is going to go on we don't mm -hmm. have to be enemies or or you know support each other's bs we can agree to disagree on a and still agree to disagree separately on b and life goes on so for me the leading indicator that i'm not acting on this critical advice is when i'm having conversations in my head with somebody else and disagree. You know? <laughs> I have multiple business partners and sometimes I'll catch myself over a weekend and I'm having a, you know, I would say this and then they're gonna say that and I'm gonna say this. Like, you know what, all right. I'm just gonna step back and realize I'm talking to myself in my own head. I'm thinking I'm talking with them, but I'm, I'm actually just talking to myself. What I need to do is to pick up the phone and just talk with them and just get it out there. So I'm gonna, any of my friends that are listening to this, uh, I'll say this, if I have pepper in my teeth or I have toilet paper in my trousers or whatever, I want you to tell me. One of our friends, we were out in Vegas for the other convention and uh, she told my fiance, she goes, Matt needs to stand up straight. My fiance said, you need to tell him. And she was kind of apprehensive and she came over, she's like, and she's a really strong woman. She just made captain with an airline. And she goes, you, you need to stand up straight. And I went, thank you for saying something. You know, I've been walking around like a schmuck all day with my, my shoulders bent over. Thank you for being the person to tell me I have food in my tea. So I personally, I want friends who tell me I've got food in my teeth and, and I want to give that respect to them because I care about them and, and I think we all want that as humans. So let's stop being so worried about everybody getting their feelings hurt and start caring enough to do the right thing and help them and if they don't like that because they're offended, well then they're having a bad day but you still do the right thing. Yeah, in the spirit of growth, not in the spirit of... Never hurt anybody on yeah, purpose. Absolutely. No, and, and a lot of unsolicited advice is not appreciated either. So nowhere and when, but don't be scared to say, hey, if you want help, I'm here to support you and I see a couple things, but if you're not ready today, hey, let's go have a beer and not talk about it. I love it. So I have one question that I ask every single guest on the podcast. See, I'm prepped for this. I want to close with this. <laughs> yeah, I see you did bring in your notes, man. My question for you is, as you've been on this journey, for how long have you been in business for? Uh, 12 years. Starting your third business? Uh, yes, I'm on my third now. All right, so my question for you is, with all that experience under your belt, is it your opinion and your experience that entrepreneurs are born or bred? When you say entrepreneur, I'm gonna qualify it as bred, no questions asked. When you ask me about personal, I'm gonna say I was born militant and stubborn. <laughs> so personally, I was arguing persistently with my parents from an early age for whatever I wanted. I do believe that argumentative nature or perseverance or hard-headedness um, has come in handy because there's been a hundred days when I could have cried and failed. Um, and so not quitting uh, before you succeed has been something that served me. But when it comes to being an entrepreneur, it's much more complex than simply being hard-headed. It's about being open. It's about being willing to change direction in your mind and knowing you're wrong. Uh, and also it's about getting all the knowledge you can get, learning how to learn, learning how to be open to other people, books, ideas, and everything else. And so to me, that is a learned thing because you can't have the context of what you should be doing if you're not willing to consistently over time learn, educate, and better yourself. Love it, man. Was there anything, did anyone step up and model any of the entrepreneurial behaviors for you in particular? Did you have any early mentors or role models? I know for me, my stepdad was a working professional and that really clearly kind of laid a path out for me. What about for you? Um, I wish I could say that and, and you've talked about your stepdad and how much you appreciate him and I, I really respect that. Honestly, to me, I saw some things in the pipeline that scared me so much that I didn't have an alternative. Um, I saw some layoffs at employers, one of which I was with, and they had ultimate control over my life. Mm. I also ran a budget forward and backwards several times working at other jobs, and no matter how I ran it, I realized that the income part of the budget was the problem, and mm. I couldn't change that mm -hmm. if somebody else was in control. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, do I wanna get paid every time I go to work, and then when I'm sick, I don't get any money. So there were several things that forced me into that 
kind of out of fear and a desire for stability, which is kind of the opposite direction a lot of people seem to go. But no, I, I wish I had had somebody that I could have, have learned from a little bit sooner. Um, I just was kind of driven that way out of a desire for a better quality of life, but I was able to put it off for 20 years to get there. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, there's many paths to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. We all wound up there and uh, really appreciate you coming in, man. It's always good, good to touch. see you. Yeah, as always.